Although I've seen some scripts, I know the words weren't spelled right. There was hardly any commas in it at all. So I don't think that's too important. Hey, you want to get on the train here, or you want to ruin another take, huh? It's too cerebral. We're trying to make a movie here, not a film. Man, I don't drop character till I've done a DVD commentary. You want to eat the writer? Be my guest. That will leave you to explain how else your character is supposed to get to Bremen. Oh, hello. You're listening to the In the Mouth of Dorkness Chatcast, the official podcast of the Alamo Drafthouse in Winchester, Virginia. I am your host, Brad Gullickson, the Mouth Dork, and we've got another really rad episode for you today. We're talking to filmmaker Rodman Flender, the director of Idle Hands, the director of Conan O'Brien Can't Stop, the director of Leprechaun 2, the director of Eat. Brains, love, super excited to have him on the podcast. Uh, As you may or may not know, Idle Hands is a very important film in the Door Cave, especially with my wife, Lisa Gullickson, who could not be here for this interview, and it was killing her because she adores Devin Sawa. She was this close to being one degree from Devin Sawa, but now she's only two degrees from Devin Sawa, because guess what? I'm one degree from Devin Sawa. Hold on. No, am I two degrees? Because I'm one degree from Rodman Flender. And then he's one degree from Kevin Sawa. So I'm two degrees from Devin Sawa. Lisa is three degrees from Devin Sawa. So that's just one more degree than me. So I'm still winning in the Devin Sawa degree game. And that's what's important. Uh, Yes, Lisa couldn't make it to this episode because she had to work, bring home that bacon. Uh, so that I can, uh, you know, skedaddle over to the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia and talk to rad folks like Rodman Flender. Uh, And I'm so glad that I did because this conversation is an absolute hoot. We get into all the things that you want me to get into. We talk idle hands, don't worry. Of course, we talk about his new film, Eat Brains Love, and how it is a perfect little companion piece to Idle Hands. Uh, But this is my show, and I adore the documentary, Conan O'Brien Can't Stop, and we spend a good portion of this chat uh, discussing uh, that film as well. And, you know, what I love about going to the projection booth at the Alamo Drafthouse in Winchester, Virginia, is that you go up there... The Scene Snobs podcast, uh, they were first in line. They actually have a conversation with Rodman Flender that you should check out. It is available right now. Find them on all your favorite uh, podcast feeds, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, wherever the hell we're calling it now, uh, Stitcher, all that stuff. Uh, And and listen to that interview. Um, So they had it first. They had Rodman first, but that's okay. I waited patiently. And then Mick got done with the Scene Stops podcast, uh, and he skedaddled, and then it was my turn with Rodman. And, you know, I I go in guns blazing. I have my recorder on the moment I turn around the corner, and we start chit-chatting. I'm not here to gotcha Rodman Flender, but I am here to capture those morsels. And what's great about that is, you know, it, it gives us an opportunity not necessarily to start off with the usual kind of self-promo talk that you hear on a lot of interviews. We do talk about Eat Brains Love, like I said, but we start off with the projection booth itself and, you know, the art of the projectionist and how that is a lost art. And Rodman, he has some connection to that field and we chat that up and then that leads us into technology and how it is uh, progressed cinema or regressed cinema. And we talk about 
documentary filmmaking. And then that's how I get into my Conan O'Brien can't stop conversation because really that's why I was here. I wanted to talk to Rodman about that. And we have an awesome chat about that documentary. Uh, but yeah, so I don't know. I don't need to ramble on too much. Eat Brains Love uh, is currently available on iTunes. Uh, you you can catch it at a festival here and there. If you're lucky enough to be near an Alamo draft house like the one in Winchester, Virginia, uh, you might see it there as well. Uh, it's always great to see a film on a big screen. You know that. I'm a huge advocate for it. Uh, but like we talk about in this uh, podcast, sometimes, you know what? You get your movies where you get your movies and bring some friends over, get some popcorn popped and chow down on some beers. That's what you do with beers, right? You don't drink them, you chow down on them and watch Eat Brains Love. There's nothing in this conversation that spoils the plot of that film in any way. So feel free to listen to this if you have not. But I guarantee you by the end of this interview, you're gonna do three things. You're gonna watch Eat Brains Love, you're going to watch Conan O'Brien, uh, Can't Stop, and you're going to watch Leprechaun too. Uh, that's exactly what I did. So let's get into this chat and I will meet you back on the other side for the debrief. And here we are, like I promised, back at the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia, up in the projection booth with Rodman Flender. Thank you, sir, for joining me. Uh, thank you for having me. I, I was a projectionist. Oh, were you? Uh, briefly. And, um, yeah, I was well-trained in the art of the changeover. Yeah. Where if you looked at, you know, re- b- b- before they... Well, I'm getting so wonky here. Oh, but, please, but, this is how we but, do it here. <laughs> but before they, you know, you'd splice... Platters kind of took over. Films would come in reels. Mm-hmm. And um, traditionally, the uh, theater would have two projectors. And... Um, they, they would have what they called cigarette burns, these little circles in the upper right-hand corner, and that would there'd be two of them. And the first one would indicate, OK, the changeover, the changeover meaning when you act, literally have to turn off one projector and turn on the other. Um, uh, was about to come in the second cigarette burn, the second little circle meant change. It's about to change. And to do that seamlessly is a lost art. Yeah. It's a lost, lost art. So here we are in the projection booth, and I don't even see projectionists. There, uh, this I, is like, I, this I is saw cool. one earlier way yeah. in the corner. Yeah, but, the, but the, now it's like, it's, it's, I guess it's like warfare now, right? Yeah, you, yeah. You, people are just at terminals typing things. Well, I see, I, I have a, a friend, uh, Kurtzke, who is the projectionist over at the Ashburn Alamo, and he has access to all the projectors on his phone. And he can turn films on and off through his iPhone. Wow. It's insane. So he doesn't even have to get out of bed. He doesn't. And some days he doesn't. Yeah. Um, well, does, uh, I think th- since we started there, like, does that make you uh, like whimsical when you think about that? Is it a nostalgic thing? Do you think we've lost something through the physical uh, manifestation of celluloid? Uh, I think we have lost something. I know um, that there are some cinema film purists who even, I mean, I've heard Quentin Tarantino on a podcast talk about, you know, how the the, uh, the flicker actually mm. changes the way your brain absorbs the information. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know about that. Uh, but I do think um, there is something... Um, more dreamlike and softer and more romantic about film. Mm. Uh, now, having said that, and having grown up in the 70s, and having grown up in movie theaters that are, you know, you, you can now call grindhouses, 
movies looked often looked like shit. I mean, yeah. you would have. Uh, I was talking about the art of, of of reels and the reel change in some of these grind houses. I, re, movies would be shown out of order. Like they put the second reel on and go, huh? What scenes would be missing? They'd be scratched. And, and now uh, people tend to you know look back on that romantically. Uh, I got to tell you. Uh, at the time when you paid seven bucks or eight or whatever it was, six or seven bucks, and you wanted to see a movie, and, and you couldn't even see because it, it was out of focus or scratched up or dark bulbs would get dim, yeah. you would go to the box office and, and get a refund. And now uh, with labels like uh, Severin or Vinegar Syndrome or uh, Shout Factory that are remastering some of these grindhouse movies, they've looked better than they, many of them ever e- looked sure. or even have a right to look. For sure. So it's, you know, like anything, it's I, I I can be the cranky old man screaming you know get off my lawn but I also do appreciate the fact that um, I can look at uh, Lucio Fulci's uh, City of the Living Dead which is a personal favorite of mine um, in a whole new way and appreciate it in a way that I never could when I saw a banged up print mm-hmm. um, you know at the uh, New Amsterdam Theater on Forty Second Street yeah I, I I think I feel very similarly to you you know I do have a nostalgia for going you know I used to watch movies at the Navy base and we'd have like films that would burn up on us oh yeah but you tend not to remember those you just remember the experience and being under the projectionist and hearing the film going right, right. now everything is silent and strange yeah. but uh, it is just what it is movies are technology and technology is forever changing right I, I I don't know what the relationship is between digital projection and the digital experience and people uh, looking at their phones mm. during well that's different a movie yeah that's different but, but I, I don't know and there and maybe there is a relation maybe, maybe there was something about the cinematic experience that held your attention more I don't know mm. but to me that that trend is more troubling than yeah. um, well I think you know at home, uh, where my phone is much more accessible and I won't have uh, Alamo waiters to, you know, wrap me on my knuckles right. uh, if I pull my phone out. I do find myself, if I'm not engaged with something, going to my phone. Of course. And uh, I've now had to, like, put the phone in the other room yeah. if I'm pressing play on a movie. And, and I got to say, I mean, there are movies that I've seen and loved in a theater on the big screen that I may not have... Um, appreciated had I seen them on my uh, beautiful I have a beautiful screen at home sure but um, you know a movie like Under the Skin uh, which I saw in a theater knocked me out just mm. like those first few minutes which are very abstract that mm. opening I mean if I had watched that at home I you know I, I, who knows how, how long I would have lasted but um, uh, there, there are a lot of movies like that or you know I just saw, just saw The Lighthouse oh, in a yeah. big screen and again, it's you know, c- kind of being a, a captive audience there for a movie like that. I loved it. It was my, yeah. one of my favorite movies of the year. Again, if I were at home and you know, getting text messages, who know, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't know if it would have captured my attention in the same way. Sure. sure. But having said that, again. Um, uh, maybe I always look <laughs> look on the positive side of things. It's great that um, a movie like The Lighthouse can be seen by so many people that they you know that we do have the option sure. of seeing it. Um, uh, what about as a filmmaker though? You know uh, the the technology and and where it's gone. Like as a documentarian, like what you can do now with a camera, uh, any of the places you can get into, it's a lot easier, right? Oh yeah, uh, the. Uh, 
when I was learning um, documentary filmmaking in college, you know, we were lugging around the, the CP-16, which was created for news crews at the time, but that for documentary filmmakers. And it was, again, it was a 16 millimeter uh, camera, but it was heavy and you had to change film magazines. And if you wanted to record sound, you had to lug around, you know, an anagra on your shoulder and, and then you uh, were misshapen for the rest of your life because you, were, you had all, all this equipment. Uh, now, that's right. I mean, it's, it's, we live in kind of a documentary world. Everyone is is shooting, you know, their life and putting it on YouTube. And um, it is. It's different now. Uh, I, I know we're here to talk about Eat Brains Love, but since we're sort of on the documentary... Speaking thing, of documentaries, yeah. the documentary <laughs> Eat Brains Love, it's a true story. Uh, 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 Everything in it has happened. Oh, God. And, um, uh, uh, I, I'd, I'd hate to not talk to you, or to talk to you and not talk about Conan O'Brien Can't Stop. And my other horror documentary, he, yes. Right. And, you know, the access that you had in, with him and where he was going, uh, and again, I imagine the technology of the, the cameras you had made it easy to capture those moments. Oh, oh absolutely, yeah. That, um, the fact that that was uh, shot on HD video and could record this, you know, re record the sound right into the camera. And I was a one-man band um, uh, on that film. And again, being just like one person and not having a whole sound crew, or or I I, um, I think gave me access and and my, you know hope, hopefully allowed me to disappear into the wallpaper mm -hmm. more than I could if um, you know if I had a whole crew with me. And the other thing is is you know Conan is so used to cameras. There's always right. cameras, and his you know his writing staff and everyone else was in that movie. Um, you know he's a TV guy, so there's always cameras around him. It, it again um, allowed me, and again, uh, uh, but again, everyone is, you know, 20, 30 years ago to have a, you'd walk into a space with a camera and you'd really stick out. Now everyone is, you know, filming everything. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I think it makes it uh, a goldmine opportunity for documentarians it in, does. in a lot of ways. It, it does, yeah. Uh, and even though he had like a bunch of, you know, he was used to cameras and he was surrounded by cameras all the time. I felt like you captured stuff with him where he was very vulnerable and you were just able to hit record. Uh, I hope so. Uh, I, I've heard him um, say in interviews that, that he, he you know, he described me like, uh, uh, the, the best compliment he, ever, he gave me was he said he, he would see me in my camera like a shark, like coming through the water. <laughs> and he would try and run in the opposite direction because he just wanted to be left alone mm -hmm. and I wouldn't leave him alone. And that's when I think I was able to get him at those vulnerable moments that you're talking mm -hmm. about. And I mean, to his credit, he, I think, was, was very brave in giving me more or less final cut of the movie mm -hmm. and uh, allowing him you know to be seen in those vulnerable moments uh, very brave of him but also he's you know he knows his audience and he knows his fan base mm -hmm. and I think if anything smelled like it had gone through his publicity department his mm -hmm. fans would have known that and sure. that's I think what they like about him is is his honesty mm -hmm. And the fact that um, you know not every, everything he does or says is polished and approved and run through a, a, a corporate machine. And ultimately, what your film reveals is how much work and you know blood he puts into his creative process. I Absolutely, mean, it's a very raw experience. I think it's very successful. And I would imagine also you had 
some serious conversations before you ever started that journey with him about what it was going to be like? Well, he, you know, it was he. he it was an interesting time in his career. He had um, just lost the Tonight Show, the thing he'd worked, you know, his whole career towards, and. You know, I really didn't have an agenda. I just wanted to see how an artist uses their art to deal with a crisis. Uh, and when I pitched him the idea of filming him, you know, following him around with a camera as he put together this live tour, uh, I, I said point blank, I don't want this to be a Conan O'Brien product. I don't want it to... Um, you know exactly what I just said. To to uh, you know, I didn't want to do a a concert documentary. Yeah, I just a didn't. Puff I, piece. I did, well, absolutely not a puff piece. But I also I I, just, I didn't want to do like a the uh, just a a, lo, uh, a a comedy special yeah, like, like a Chris Rock right, comedy right. special kind of thing. I wanted to really focus on what was going on behind the scenes. And uh, he said okay. To his credit, he said okay. Uh, and um, again, he he allowed me to do it, and I think he knew that I I it wasn't going to be a puff piece, but I I wasn't out to to get him or you know do any kind of character assassination either. I just wanted to capture whatever was was going to happen, and then ultimately, I think I, I call the movie a portrait of addiction. Mm. I put this in the ultimate put this in the genre of addiction movies, and in this case. It's an addiction to an audience mm -hmm. and an addiction to validation and yeah. needing that laugh and needing that love and approval. But like with any addiction, whether it's cigarettes or booze or whatever, you know, you love it, you need it, but you also hate it. And you see that in the movie, too. He yeah. complains and he bitches and he moans and then he doesn't leave because he sticks around to sign everyone's yeah. you know, autograph and, and, and mingle with his fans. He won't be denied. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, before we hit record, um, we were talking about... Have whole... we not been recording? <laughs> We've been recording. Okay. But before we hit record, we were oh. talking about... <laughs> I thought you meant right now. Before no, no, we no, we're like, good. What? I've uh, been giving you gold here. It's all gold. Like, this is That's gold. Gold. I'm always I am, recording. Okay, good. Um, as, a, as a true documentary, yeah. documentarian should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never stop. And, 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 and you know, again, we're talking about like film and video. Back in the days of film, when you had to reload these mags, and it was like 10 minutes, and you, you really had to pick and choose when you wanted to film. Yeah. Now, as you say, you can always be recording. Well, I, I love this, the gory stories of people who would shoot on the ends of film, right? And oh, yeah. Just have, like, That's all you can afford. Yeah. That's all you have. And sometimes it'd be flashed. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, so now, like, uh, it, it's absurd how much footage you can get, and that's really... I talk to documentarians now, and that's the biggest challenge right. is you've recorded this infinite right. amount of footage. What is your movie? How yeah. do you find your narrative? Uh, but we were talking about like a wide array of films and types of films that you enjoy, that you appreciate. And if you look at your filmography, you have dipped into many different flavors of cinema. Mm -hmm. um, but with Eat Brains Love, you're kind of returning back to the comedy horror, you know, two great tastes that taste great together. Yeah. And it's a, a genre that is very hard to pull off and lots of people like to do it. But when, when did you discover that particular uh, Reese's uh, <laughs> peanut butter cup flavoring? What's of, this yeah. Uh, yeah, peanut butter doing in my chocolate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's yeah, this yeah. horror doing in my comedy? When did you discover that? When did you know you wanted to like do it? Like, I guess Idle Hands would have been your first foray into this particular combination. Uh, that and I had directed two episodes of Tales from the Crypt on HBO. Oh, yeah. I wrote and directed one of them, and then just directed another one. And that um, 
was, I guess, not p- pure comedy horror, but kind of grand guignol, not heavy, serious mm-hmm. horror, but fun horror. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of what, like, my first exposure well, yeah, to when it did, was... when did you know, like, this is the thing? I love this thing. Well, uh, when I was a kid, I saw Roger Corman's original Little Shop of Horrors on TV, his original uh, black-and-white one that he legendarily made in, in two days. Yeah. And there was something about that tone that blew my mind. It seemed really subversive to me. Um, and, uh, oh, look at that. Swag. Andy's swag. arrived with swag. Andy's yeah, right. you can interrupt. I told I Andy. It sounded like the most intense conversation, and I just didn't No, know no, 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 no. Yes, no, no. I told Andy that I... Uh, Brad Gullick's an approved hat. Wow. Fantastic. Look at it. Uh, great. You got extra of these? A fanny pack. A Lost Weekend 12 fanny pack. Well, Love it. Well, first of all, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Film club pin for when you win your awards. You okay. wear something on your lapels. Okay. This is going on right now. Yeah. Oh, I like that. And then to carry your Topo Chico around. Oh. <laughs> and that sort of thing. Excellent. I was I allowed to say he's drinking a Topo Chico? You're, yeah, again? yeah, yeah. They won't hit us up. This podcast is brought to us by Topo, Topo Chico. Chico. I love be. Topo Chico. <laughs> Don't we if, all? If, 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 I've, uh, you know, th- this is the uh, sparkling water of hipsters. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. available in Silver Lake, Brooklyn and Silver Lake. They serve it here at the Alamo Draft House. Yeah. Uh, they started the New Beverly Quentin Tarantino's theater in in Hollywood. Um, so uh, and the the ratio of water to bubbles and fizz is just about the best. Some I are think too I've thin. literally said that. So, so, it, yeah, well, it is. Yeah. It's really good. I'm not making this shit up. Yeah, this is delicious. So um, taking Winchester by storm. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. We're a little late on getting things, but yes. we finally did get it. Yes. We're all cut up. Suck it, Perry. Great. <laughs> Absolutely. And then this, uh, we celebrate a film festival every year. We do twice a year. Yeah. And uh, we're about ready to announce our 13th film festival. Lost Weekend. So I have some uh, remainder Lost oh Weekend. Uh, awesome. Right. Great. Absolutely. So, not for those who didn't attend. The Ouch. Festival, but Ouch. Just for so lucky thirteen is coming up. Yeah. I, yeah I'm lucky thirteen. To avoid the phrase lucky thirteen. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, you've just ruined it. I'm bringing it up. It's, 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 it's way too obvious. L W lucky go for, go for the obvious. Cliche. Yeah. 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 Well, that's me. Cliche. <laughs> <laughs> this was no jab on Rodney Flender. I was merely stating I'm trying for it. Like my artwork, I was like, I don't want black cats. No, 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 uh, but we were talking about Roger Corman's Little House, uh, Little Shop, little of, shop horrors. of Horrors. We were talking right. about comedy and horror, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and when I was, uh, uh, you know, I guess, I, I guess before that, um, we had Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, sure. yeah. which is uh, uh, really, um, you know, pure, pure. Universal Monster. Uh, Dark universe. universe yeah, together, I think. yeah that's right. That's yeah. True. yeah, before the MCU, there was Abbott and Costello. Right, right. There was the Universal. Yeah, line, universe, yeah. yeah. And I, you know, we, we don't have to go that far back. I mean, uh, uh, the one I always think about when I think of horror comedy, I always think of uh, Tucker and Dale, the evil. Sure, uh, but that's like very much trying to do the Evil Dead two thing. Yeah, I would argue perhaps different. Right. Oh, well, of course you would, because we're talking. <laughs> and Andy and I can't talk without arguing. No, there's no arguments going on there. I can see the reasoning, but I think that the, it, it creates... It's something a little different. Yeah. Because I find those characters a bit more likable than I do the Evil Dead 2 characters. Oh, that's probably true. Yes. Yeah. Ash is... But, I mean, I think he's likable, whatever that word uh, means. Ash, but he's a bit of a jerk, and that's right. why he's likable. But I also think, like, at this point in time, Ash has become... 
so iconic that, uh-huh. that you can't necessarily watch a movie and think like, oh, I don't. It's, it's hard to pull Bruce Campbell away from. Yeah, him. he's had his own TV show yeah. now and all that. So it's, Whereas I think like Alan Tudyk and uh, oh, gotta really lose his name. None the lies. I don't know. Uh, have. But that that you mentioned with like with Roger Corman, how there was a sense of there was something very subversive, subversive about about yeah. Little Shop of Horrors that wasn't um, necessarily in Abbott and Costello. Me Frank, I mean Abbott right. and Costello, Me Frankenstein is definitely a mashup, but there was you know something very subversive about Little Shop of Horrors. Even the fa- there was this weird kind of borscht belt humor. Well, Dick mixed. Miller's like eating the flowers. Yes, like it's, and yeah. you've got. Um, you know, Jack Nicholson yeah. is the masochistic yeah. dental patient. He's he's reading a magazine called Pain magazine yeah. in the movie. I mean, very you know, who who's making S and M jokes in the early sixties? Right. You know, it's just right. very very subversive, um, in a way that Abigail Meet Frankenstein um, was not subversive, mm, right. uh, and that that um, that turned me on, mm-hmm. and, and uh, I tried to keep that tone. Um, in Idle Hands, and now Eat Brains Love, which I think is genetically you know linked to Idle Hands. They, they say, mm-hmm. share some DNA. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and, and you know, like uh, Eat, Eat Brains Love has the whole STD element. Right. Like there, it feels. Um, what, I mean, it feels subversive. I mean, it feels it feels like it's got a bite to it, a, a comedic bite to it, as well as a, a, yeah. a zombie bite to it. Well, definitely share some some DNA, and if. Um, if you like Idle Hands, I think you're going to dig Eat Brains Love, mm-hmm. and it's now available on iTunes and Amazon and uh, wherever you uh, stream, the watch. The finest Alamo Draft Houses. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. the finest, the, yes, the singular finest <laughs> Alamo. May, may, hopefully, uh, if um, we're, we're screening it tonight here in Winchester, and if it does well, maybe, I don't know, do you, do you Alamo Draft Houses talk to each other? Yeah, and, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, you know, we're big fans of... Uh, Small plug here of Gunpowder and Sky, who has released some amazing things. Yeah. You know, uh, this past year, she had, they had a phenomenal year with Her Smell, which they released. Her uh, Smell is, yeah, brilliant. Just uh, brilliant. Super brilliant. I uh, love Her Smell. Yeah. Uh, it took me a while to watch it when I did it. Huh? But like, we've, we've, we've been supporters of Gunpowder for a while. Yeah. Rocksteady Row, which was, I think, everyone's favorite. Hmm. Years, so, right. Uh, for Lost Weekend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Robin, before Tragedy before girls. you get out of here, Tragedy before you girls. get out of here, uh, Take your time, in in talking about uh, Eat Brains Love, yes. uh, zombie film, uh, you know, extremely popular. Uh, I was gonna say right now, but forever. Like it's been uh, it's been a genre since 1968, Night of the Living Dead, 1968. Yep. Um, when you are coming to that particular subgenre, mm-hmm. uh, which you kind of played with a little bit in Idle Hands too. Um, like, what's how do you bring a freshness uh, to that particular monster? Well, uh, in, you know, neither Idle Hands nor Eat Brains Love. And you notice I, I use neither nor, like, you're always supposed to use nor when you're the neither. <laughs> so I'm really glad that in this film podcast we're discussing things like projection <laughs> and correct English it's grammar. Why it's people really, come to it, really a turn on, yeah. For, but um, in neither, uh, neither Idle Hands nor um, Eat Brains Love uh, I, are, are, I think, sort of classic zombie films. You know, there's no uh, zombie apocalypse, and uh, there's it, people aren't barricaded in a in a one location trying, you know, to um, to survive. It's a road it's trip. Kind of, thank you. That's that was what um, 
turned me on in Eat Brains Love is, was the relationship between these characters. And I really looked at it in, in more in the tradition of a movie like God Bless America mm. or uh, Freeway. Like, the, you know, tonally, those were the movies that inspired me and I told the cast to look at. Like Reese Witherspoon in, in, yeah. uh, in Freeway just uh, knocked me out. Knocked me out. I think it's like one of her. God bless great, uh, the Bobcat. The Bob, Bobcat. Goldman oh my movie. god! Not yeah. enough people talk about that movie. Yeah, that's, that movie's brilliant. Yeah, that's that brutal. Funny, uh, subversive, brutal. Uh, you know, every, everything you want in a, in, a, in a movie like that, and um, and Freeway as well. The uh, uh, and it's, I'm gonna shoot myself because the dire- uh, Matthew Bright. I yeah. remember the director's name, Matthew Bright. Matthew Bright's Freeway. Uh, also subversive and fantastic. Uh, so I, I look at Eat Brains Love, hopefully in the tradition of those movies rather than, you know, a George Romero, Lucio Fulci, zombie apocalypse movie. Even though, I lo- I, you know, George Romero is a hero. He's yeah. like, you know, if, if, if you have a Mount Rushmore of horror film director icons, you know, you've got like Toby Hooper, uh, George Romero, and take your pick, David Cronenberg. Yeah, yeah. I'd um, put Todd Browning maybe. Uh, or, oh, you, you go. Know. Todd Browning's a good pick. I think you got to go with like Argento. Or, Argento, or, right? I mean, I prefer Fulci, but Arge- nothing's better than Argento's right. Suspiria. Right. But, uh, well, now, but but uh, see, I said Mount Rushmore, which is an yeah. American oh, icon. Right. So I was you're just right. going for the American. Correct. But if Correct. you're opening it up to, although David Cronenberg's Canadian, yeah, right? yeah, so yeah, uh, yeah. I just I just put my own foot in my <laughs> mouth. Um, but uh, but but of course. So um, so yeah. Okay. Answering your question in a very long-winded way, uh, while referencing English grammar, well, uh, which uh, I appreciate I, uh, as an English major yeah. and a teacher. Um, <laughs> now, I'm obsessed with tonal balance, and when you're making a film like this, I mean, it is a, a razor's edge to use a great cliche. Uh, of of, of tightrope tightrope it's a tightrope yes. that you have to walk with that so that you're not falling too far into a place where you don't care about your characters and so for you when you're making a film like this um, are you concerned about balancing that tone uh, do you feel like to just through your conversations with your actors like how do you make that happen it's very tricky. That is the most difficult challenge in horror comedy is to balance that tone. And with Idle Hands, it was a studio movie, and we had the luxury of test screenings and seeing what worked and what didn't work. And the ending was completely different. Originally, we had uh, an ending that was the most expensive thing I've ever shot. It was a big special effect, Phantasmagoria, where hell opened up. And uh, you, I, you could see it on, on, I think, the original DVD Saw release. That, yeah, yeah. Um, but we learned through test screenings that people were react. People loved the humor in that movie more, and we wound up with an ending. We reshot, um, or I say reshot. We shot the ending, uh, shot a new ending um, that leaned into the comedy and the stoner comedy, and it was and it was a better fit for the movie. So it's a constant process of of taking the temp- monitoring and taking the temperature. Uh, Eat Brains Love, much lower budget, independent movie, uh, did, did not have the um, advantage or the luxury of that kind of test market research. We did do a couple of screenings for kind of office interns, um, 
for the companies that, that produced the film. So we uh, were able to see kind of just what questions people had, like things that didn't make sense, story, story issues, uh, jokes that people did laugh at, things that I wanted in the movie and some of the producers thought weren't so funny, but in my sick sense of humor... Um, I fought for them and they wound up getting laughs and they stayed in the movie. Some other things that, that uh, did not get laughs. We knew going into this, or I knew going into this, that it was a comedy first, mm-hmm. a road movie and a comedy first uh, with horror elements in it. So when we did show it to other, you know, office interns and that sort of thing, we were specifically looked listening for laughs and, and, and hearing what scenes got right. laughs. Right, and so if you're not getting them, you know, it's not working. Right, uh, right. And, yeah. and, hor- and uh, horror and comedy are the two genres uh, that are both very similar that way. I mean, they both are about uh, the subversion of expectations, right? Mm-hmm. If you, you horror, you've got to be surprised. And a comedy, right. again, it's got to be a subversion of your expectation, and that, what, that, that's what makes you laugh. And you know right away, watching it with an audience, uh, whether or not it's working. I'm so um, grateful that I am getting to show Eat Brain's Love to audiences like those here uh, tonight at the Alamo, and uh, we got to play a few film festivals, Fright Fest in London, um, we just played Panic Fest in Kansas City. Uh, if you have the opportunity to see it in one of these uh, theaters, a theatrical screening, I'd say uh, do, because comedy, you know, comedy and horror, again, they really work well right. with an audience. And right. if you don't have the opportunity, just, you know, round up some people on the street and, and watch the movie with them, You're, you know, gather your friends together. Have um, if you're a drinking man or woman, have your your uh, favorite drink. If you're not, Topo Chico <laughs> goes so well with uh, Eat Brain's sure. Love, and and watch it with your friends because uh, laughter, uh, you know, laughter and I think um, um, shivers, shivers and laughter are contagious. Yeah, and I I think uh, as you know, since Andy's not here at the moment, but as we, uh, as streaming becomes more and more prevalent and uh, the home viewing experience becomes more and more prevalent, I think we're going to see more movie parties because, like, you don't want to watch Eat Brains Love alone. You want to have, like, a group of people to watch it with. I agree. Yeah, yeah. So get that Topo Chico uh, yes. 24 pack. Right. Um, Rodman, uh, where can our listeners find you online? Uh, where can we track, how can we track down Eat Brains Love? Uh, so Eat Brains Love uh, um, is uh, right now on iTunes and all the other platforms where you rent and buy movies. Uh, you can follow me. I'm on Instagram, uh, Rodman underscore F. Uh, that's, yeah, and when, uh, and, and Eat Brains Love may have a few more theatrical screenings coming up and festival screenings, and I always shamelessly plug, you know, use Instagram and, and uh, self-promote that. Uh, I, uh, my, uh, currently, this is interesting, I, I think I'm the only director, and if, if I'm not, I'd like someone to tell me, uh, I put this on Instagram today, I, I currently, on Rotten Tomatoes, have both a zero for Leprechaun 2 and a 100 for Eat Brains Love. Who else has that? Have you had a guest who uh, simultaneously so. has a zero? So. No. Zero. No. It's not a lot of movies yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes that actually have a zero. Leprechaun 2 has a zero? It has a zero, and I want to keep Jennifer it that way. Jennifer uh, She was in number one. Oh, no. Yes, she, was, oh, she, she wasn't in number that's two. That's why it's a zero. Uh, maybe that's why it's a zero. <laughs> but I want to keep it that way. I'm not, I'm not 
not I'm not broadcasting this or Instagramming this to try and get yeah, it yeah. up. In fact, I even put a uh, hashtag keep lep two at zero <laughs> because to have um, uh, to have that is it's a rare moment for a director. Leprechaun two is where the guy thinks he's going down on some breasts and they are uh, it's a fan. It's a lawnmower. Lawnmower. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. I re- vividly remember watching that when it okay. first came out. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rodman, I think that's a great place to end it on. Okay. <laughs> Zero and 100. Congratulations. So, so, yeah, somewhere I bounce back and forth. And that's how I'd want it. You know what I mean? I'd, yeah. I'd never want to be like 50 or 60. If I could be zero or, you know, even, right. Right. you know, if I can make people angry and upset or, you know, make you know, people love what, what I do, then I think I'm doing something right. Amen to that. Rodman, thank you so much for joining us. Thank really you. Really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. <laughs> And there you have it, folks. Man, Rodman Flender, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was a true pleasure chatting to you about Conan O'Brien Can't Stop. And yeah, talking a little bit there at the end about Leprechaun 2. That was one of those early films that had a uh, uh, an obvious impact, as you heard. Uh, and, and I had to rewatch it after talking to him. Uh, I may go ahead and revisit all the Leprechaun films. Warwick Davis is so good in all of those films. I mean, I just don't think we say enough about his performance in the field of slasher characters. I will put him right up there with Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, and Michael Myers. He's certainly, in my opinion, a more interesting uh, villain than Chucky, or at least most of Chucky's appearances. There, that's my hot take for the episode. And how cool is it that Rodman Flender has a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes for Leprechaun 2 and 100% on Rotten Tomatoes for Eat Brains Love? That is a tremendous feat and an honor, I'm sure. Uh, Okay, so that does it for this week. On next Wednesday's episode, we're going to Park City, Utah. Lisa Gullickson is coming back on the podcast. We are going to bring you our first conversation from Sundance 2020. It is with Jim Rash and Nat Faxon, the directors of The Way, Way Back and Downhill, the new Will Ferrell, Julie Louis-Dreyfus film based on the great movie Force Majeure. Uh, we talk about adaptation and how, just how the hell they took a you know two-hour-plus movie and crammed it into a tight 87-minute comedy. Uh, I think it's a, a really interesting conversation. Don't dismiss Downhill as a simple remake. Just don't do it. It's out in theaters right now. Go watch it. Come back next Wednesday, listen to our interview with them. And then we are going to go into a crazy slate of interviews. Uh, Billy Das, the indie dork, as you may have noticed if you've been following his feed at WB Das or our feed at ItModcast, he's been in Los Angeles this past week. Uh, He's been hosting the Q&As for the film After Midnight, directed by Christian Stella and Jeremy Gardner, who were on our podcast a year ago. Um... Uh, Yeah, so he's living his best life out there in uh, Beverly Hills. And uh, you can, again, go to our Facebook page and watch at least one of his Q&As. He totally killed it. Way to go, Billy Das. And while he was out there, uh, he wrangled some cool people and he convinced them to come on the podcast. So 
we're going to get Billy Das back on the It Mod Chatcast with some really rad folks. I don't want to spoil who they are just yet. I may do that next week. Uh, and then we have guys like Bo Burnham coming on to talk about Promising Young Woman, uh, Eliza Hitman talking about Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. That is a that is a tremendous movie. One of my favorites that I saw at Sundance. I know Lisa felt the same. And uh, that conversation is just really, really fascinating. So you're going to be on the lookout for that. And uh, we're working with Cuddles and Rage, uh, Jimmy and Liz Reed, the dynamic duo. They've got a new book coming out on March 24th from Quirk Books called Bites of Terror. It is a graphic novel anthology uh, of demented, delicious stories. Uh, I've read a copy. It's amazing. I highly recommend purchasing one for yourself. And they are going to come on the podcast and talk about that little wonder. So, yes, uh, put that on your radar. And uh, buy that Quirk book. It is perfect. You do not want to sleep on this title. And that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, I've already told you where to find uh, WB Das. Why don't you find Lisa Gullickson at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, encourage her to get back on that letterbox. She was doing so well with Sundance, but she has sort of uh, slipped from posting her ratings. Uh, so go pester her. Find Darren Smith at the Disco Dork on all social medias. And Brian Young at the Turtle Dork on Twitter and at the Turtle Dork 1 on Instagram. Uh, that is one happy little turtle right now because we've announced that our next still awesome screening at the Alamo Drafthouse in Winchester, Virginia is a 30th anniversary showing of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the 1990 classic. And uh, if you haven't bought your tickets for that already, you should do so because only the front row is left. But don't worry, the front row at the Alamo Drafthouse in Winchester, Virginia is not the worst front row you've ever been in. I've seen many films from that front row. It's well worth the ticket price. Uh, you're not going to want to miss this one because I, I've heard rumors that Leonardo himself is going to show up and maybe even Michelangelo. So yes, March 29th, that's a Sunday. Come on out. It's at 7.30. The Alamo Drafthouse in Winchester, Virginia. The 1990 classic Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, I'm going to be promoting that for the next several weeks. And if I don't see every one of you guys there, I'll be pretty disappointed. So, uh, yeah, that's going to do it for me. You can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. And until next time, take care. Visions are worth fighting for. Why spend your life making someone else's dreams? I wanted to talk City of the Walking Dead because that's my favorite Fulci film. And mine too. I is mentioned it? that, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah the Beyond is the one he, you know, that's, that's a, all the... I mean, I like the Beyond. I mean, I love the Beyond, but, but, but yeah. City of the Walking Dead, it's the, that priest in the beginning hanging himself. And, then and the, 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 uh, the coffin guts, scene. The coffin yeah. scene. And then the maggots. It's, yeah. yeah, it's good stuff. <laughs>